Good morning. This is Chickie Fitzgerald. It is Friday, August 31st, and I cannot believe that we are already headed into Labor Day. But uh, I'm hoping that everybody is uh, taking off a little bit early and uh, having some time for yourself, and I'm glad that you are including the Executive Girlfriends group in that plan. Our guests today are the co-authors of a book called Break Your Own Rules, How to Change the Patterns of Thinking that block women's path to power. And we actually there are actually three authors of the book and we've got two of them here with us today. Uh so first let me introduce Jill Flynn. Uh Jen, Jill, can you tell us a little bit about your background and and uh how you came to author this book and then perhaps you can introduce Mary to us. I sure will. Thank you, Chicky. Um I grew up career-wise in banking in at First Union Corporation, which is headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I had a 20-year career there as an executive in human resources and got to the senior vice president level and really enjoyed my career, and uh, it was great. And ra- raised my children. I'm married and have two grown daughters. And... Um, First Union, is, the bad news is um, it's not a great time to be in banking anymore, and First Union <laughs> ended up buying Wachovia, and then, um, but then Wachovia fell to uh, Wells Fargo back in 2008. Right, so and, it's been and quite Jill, a- can I get you to speak up just a little bit? You're, you're getting softer yes. and softer as you go. Yes, is this better? Yes. Okay, sorry. Anyway, so I was with First Union for a 20-year career, it was very, um, very productive, very exciting. It was a great time to be in banking, and um, like I say, I'm, I'm happy that I'm not in banking anymore. Eleven years ago, I left banking because I thought it would be fun to do something where what I did, the, the human resources and leadership development stuff, where that was the main business of the business. So Catherine Heath and I co-founded what was in Flynn Heath Leadership, and it's a consulting firm uh, focused on developing high-potential leaders in corporations. And after we uh, had been in business a year or two, we actually got um, uh, one of our clients, which is one of our favorite clients, which is Deloitte, and Deloitte asked us to do a program for uh, all women, high-potential women, that were right about to be considered uh, as candidates for partner in the firm. So we did that, and after the very first program we did, which lasted a a 12-month program uh, of coaching and training the women, we loved it. We realized that that's exactly what we wanted to do, and so we have focused our firm ever since on partnering with corporations and firms such as Deloitte to help them Build their talent and get their talent, get their female talent higher in the organization up to the senior levels. And that brings us to Mary Davis Holt, who is our third partner. And Mary and I had known each other uh, actually off and on since college, and were on on a uh, board of trustees together. And Mary had had a similar uh, background. I'll let her tell her background. But we um, got together, and then um, Mary came to work with us and is now a partner. But Mary, tell a little bit about your background. Thank you. And, Chicky, thanks for having both of us on your 
on your program. We we love to talk about our favorite topic. I had a 30-year career at Time Warner and 20 years in New York in the publishing group called Time Incorporated. And I was on the business side, and after 20 years, they offered me the opportunity to come to the Washington area to be president of Time Life Books. And I am a Southerner, so the idea of going south was um, was a good thing. And I came down as president of Time Life Books and then became chief operating officer for books, music, and video, direct marketer, all those late-night infomercials. That was the business. And um, hit my 30-year mark and knew I had another another career in me and began that journey of reinvention. And fortunately, hooked up with Jill Flynn very early in that journey, and she asked me the all-important question, what, what are you really passionate about? And I said, building women leaders, but what do you do with that? And she said, well, that's what we're doing. I said, I can't <laughs> believe it. Um, I have an, an all-girls high school and women's college experience, so I've always um, focused on building women leaders and coaching and mentoring informally in the workplace. So this just was a perfect next step for me, and I went to Georgetown, got my coaching credentials, and you know I've been at it now uh, a good long while, and I love it. Never thought my second career would be as much fun as my first career. And it's great to be in business with Jill Flynn and Catherine Heath. We have a good time, and um, I actually ran our book division and never thought I'd publish a book, and lo and behold, here we are. I'm co-authoring the book. So never say never. You never know where it's going to go. So I feel very fortunate to um, to have this, this fabulous um, second career of mine. Right. Well, you know, writing a book um while daunting is is one of the things that I recommend to people uh that are coming out of a corporate um career knowing that they want to make a change and trying to figure out what it is that they want to do and finding that thing that they know the most about and are passionate about is a great place to start. So, um, you know, it 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 uh isn't for everyone, but but I think it is just such an amazing way to establish that credibility and and Jill you you were talking about uh you know kind of the dearth of of senior level leadership positions that are held by women uh women mm-hmm. do hold just 11% of the most senior level positions uh in US corporations and and that number hasn't changed in a very very long time so right. you know at at the highest level you know what kind of encouragement you can you provide that we actually can break through well, there's lots of good news on that front, and that's a major reason that we wrote the book because um, a, a, as we were coming up, Mary and I and Catherine, there were a great number of external obstacles, and that is not to say that all of those obstacles are uh, have been eradicated. There's still unconscious bias. There's still, you know, some companies that, that truly do not think that women should be in top-level positions, but they are the minority. The majority of what I call enlightened companies um, say that that it's crazy. They've, they've got to take advantage of all the talent. In fact, uh, we have a male client, a male executive, and what he says is he says, well, you may think that this is um, nice to do or the right thing to do, and it is the right thing to do, but he said, what I'll tell you is it's a business imperative. So, good news, that most of the bias is, is gone, most of the external obstacles are gone, but what we realize, we're practitioners, we're not um, full-time authors, as Mary said, 
So right. we are on planes every week and going to various places to coach and train uh, women executives. And what happened was, and really the, the compelling reason, that there were two reasons we wanted to write the book. The first reason was after years of doing this, and, and by now we have coached and trained, I think, over seven seventy five hundred women and in corporate America, and we've interviewed, in the course of coaching those women, we've interviewed over 3,500 executives, most of them males, who are the bosses of these women, and we've interviewed the men or the, the, the entire level executives in order to get some feedback, uh, some 360 mm-hmm. feedback to give the women. Anyway, what we found that was so compelling was there were patterns, 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 patterns. We just, we kept coaching, we would all be coaching people, and after a few years we said, this is, you know, I've seen this before, I've seen this before. So the book is about the six most common patterns that we've run into that are internal obstacles, okay? What we say is it's the way we as women get in our own way career-wise. Right. So, so the, let's, the let's book, start with, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was going to well, say, the, let's just jump right in because I, I think okay. it's, it's really important that we realize how much of this uh, comes from some of the early programming uh, that we have as women. And, and the things that we have been programmed to do aren't necessarily bad. They're simply bad in the context of of where it is we are trying to get to. And And the very first one... Uh, the old way of thinking, and and uh, again, this this thing that uh, we do so well is focus on others. So tell us what is the corollary of that, and how we change that to a, to the positive that takes us where we need to be in senior leadership. Mary, why don't you take that one? I think uh, you just said it. I, I think that it's, it's some of this is in our DNA as women that we're the caretakers and the nurturers, and some of it may be socialization as we grow up, but you're exactly right. Uh, if all we do is, you know, focus on everybody in our lives, our, our parents, our families, our children, our spouses, significant others, our clients, our bosses, our team, at the end of the day, the women that we coach are exhausted, and they've taken care of everybody else, and, you know, the, the person on the list, the, the you on the list never gets um, any attention. And what we know is that women have to be intentional and purposeful about their careers, which means being willing to spend some time on yourself. And so we say the the, the corollary to that is take center stage. Be comfortable being a little selfish for yourself. Be comfortable being in that spotlight where you focus on what's good for you and your career and how you're going to do it. And Many women just let that go by the wayside because all this other nurturing they're doing, you know, and it can lead. It can also lead to unhealthy things where we work ourselves to death because we're trying to be perfect for everyone, to have the perfect career, perfect mother, perfect everything. And at the end of the day, you know, we get ourselves into a burnout phase, so it can go that far. But again, it's not bad to be a nurturer. The question is. Can you open that spectrum up a little bit to include yourself? Nurture yourself. Take care of yourself. Spend some time on your career. Um, we never tell women not to be naturally and authentic who they are, but we say if you want to have a career, you're going to have to take some time for yourself. So, so right. in a nutshell, that's that's that rule. 
Okay, so the next one, uh, the old is is all about seeking approval. And, you know, I think even in our speech, the way that we frame an idea uh, when we're in a meeting, uh, whether with other women or, or with men, uh, we tend to phrase things in a way that, that shows that we are really seeking approval. So how do we change how we talk, how we act uh, to produce this new result? I'll, I'll take that one. This is Jill. Um, these are, you're, you're making some great points, Chicky. We, you know, we grow up as females being uh, socialized to be popular and be well-liked and be approved of. And in school, we want to follow all the rules and obey the teacher and we behave ourselves. And it's really weird when you get into a career and you find that all of that does not work for you. It works up to a certain point. But if you really want to break through and get uh, significant career growth, you have to think differently. So... Uh, one of my favorite examples of this, what, what we say is you need to proceed until apprehended. <laughs> Give yourself, empower yourself, you know, break a few rules. Don't always seek to be the most popular and well-liked and follow all the rules. So an, an example of this is a, a person that I've known a long time, Sarah, who's an attorney, and she, this is in the book, but she um, and a male peer of hers were young lawyers. They were partners in a big uh you know, big firm in Washington. And one morning, one of the very senior partners came by and stuck his head in and said, I need some help on eminent domain. I think both of you know something about it. It was some arcane thing. He was working on a huge client for the law firm and needed some help. And do either of you know about it? And right at the same time, Sarah said, well, I, I know I've had some exposure to it. And her cohort, the male cohort, said, yes, I do. I, I, I'm, I know a lot about it. So he, he projected, he proceeded until I apprehended. I mean, in other words, he stepped right in. The, the senior partner said, okay, come with me. And the, and the guy, Jeff, went with the senior partner and got the work and got the exposure. And Sarah, to this day, just says she was furious. She was fuming because she said he did not know about eminent domain. He barely knew how to spell it, and I had written a white paper on it. So um, anyway, it, it's that kind of thing. We are very modest, and we, you know, she felt like she probably needed to check with somebody to see if she had enough credibility. And um, so anyway, it. It, it's it's a great example of waiting to get permission before she was willing to step out. Right, and her colleague was doing the fake it until you make it. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. oh, very interesting. Now, this next one uh, is an interesting one um, because, uh, again, we are taught as, as uh, girls and hopefully entering into the business world, we are taught the importance of you know, dressing modestly and being modest uh, about our accomplishments and not to uh, tooting our own horns, and and so modesty is is uh, you know not generally something that we think about as um, you know what is necessary in a leader. And and uh, you know, Joe was asking about uh, the Republican convention because I live in Tampa and she lives in Charlotte, where the Democratic convention is is uh, convening on Monday. And one of the things that um, that Romney's uh, advisors have told him is he actually 
was being too modest and and that people mm-hmm. didn't know what he had done <laughs> and so they coached him that he he had to do that and you know clearly we've seen you know the polls uh respond to that so women are not taught to toot our own horns so how do you move out of that and and what is the result Mary, I'll take that one. It's it's Mary. Um, you know, my story is going to New York City from a very small town in North Carolina, where my wonderful Southern mother had pulled had reined me in at a very early age that I was way too bossy. I bragged way too much. It it was not ladylike. It was not appropriate, and I needed to stop or I'd have no friends. That was her message to me. I can remember when she said it to me. So I go to New York in that southern modest way of mine, and um, I learned pretty quickly it was not a career strategy to be modest. Um, and being from a small town, not having gone to an Ivy League school, not knowing anyone in New York, you know, not being in that culture that I was in at Time Incorporated was a real eye-opener to me, and it was very hard. And, you know, the first time I got stepped over for a job and the person that didn't give me the promotion said, as I'm telling him all these wonderful things I've been doing, you know, and he said, well, I didn't know any of that, was the the first wake-up call, the first slap in the face that I've got to self-promote. And so I had to learn how to do it all over again. And then you have to learn how to do it and not be seen as uppity or arrogant or who does she think she is. Yeah, and there's a really fine line there. Total fine line. You have to find your little narrow path there of effectively self-promoting and not showing off or being arrogant. And and that's what you know leads to this this issue of get of having a good a voice of having you know being personally powerful, showing up confidently. Because if you're modest, then that's again that's not what you've been trained to do. So it's really flipping it around. And feeling comfortable being confident and powerful, but yet finding the narrow leadership path. And we talk about we as women have a very narrow path to walk as leaders. You go too far one way, which was what my mother was saying, you're going to be too bossy. We also call it the B word, and that's the kiss of death. Or you go the other way, you're too emotional, the teardrops, all of that stuff, and she's weak and emotional and you know, she can't make the tough decisions. So it is a narrow path, but finding your own Whatever, however you need to define personal power that fits with your personality, and show the issue is to show up confidently. Um, is is tough, and I tell women as we are out there speaking that I'm not suggesting this is easy. It isn't. It's hard, but you have got to struggle with it because that's what it's going to take if you want to be one of those Fortune 500 CEOs. Right. Well, there's one other. Uh... Uh, element of projecting personal power that I want to call out, and you, you've alluded to it a little bit in your remarks. But there, there was one statement that was made uh, in in the press packet that was sent to me, and that is, "Stop confiding your insecurities." <laughs> and um, I was on, um, uh, you know, I, I have been in a situation. Let me put it this way. Where where someone uh, you know was sharing their insecurities and and as a way to try to get closer uh, you know to the other people and and you know it completely backfired and um, so talk to me just a little bit about that because I think women need to hear this. This is Jill's favorite. Take this one. You talk. You you do this one well. Uh, it reminds me of somebody. I've coached a number of people with this and, and Jill, I'm, I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you. So is it, if you is can, it volume? Yeah, is it, it's, is it that I'm yeah. not loud enough. 
Well, is this yes. better? That's okay. Better. Thank you. I may have moved. Um, gosh, there's so much to say. Um, somebody that I coached was brilliant, um, gorgeous. She was a real estate expert and was sought out after uh, for her that I mean for that expertise. She um, had a great network. I mean, she was doing everything right, and she started being asked to do speeches. And she could not shut her mouth. She told everybody that came to her, oh, I'm just such a terrible public speaker. Oh, I, it just makes me so nervous. Oh, I don't like doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And she began to get a reputation, and so people were not asking her anymore. And it was sort of the one fly in the ointment. She had everything going to her. I guess it's back, Chicky, to what you said about faking it till you make it. Um, we're not good at that. And I think part of it is that women get close to each other by confiding in securities. And that certainly is a fine thing. That's okay. Uh, but in a professional setting, it backfires. It makes the men around you feel like they can't count on you to come through. For them, exactly. And she has finally, she has finally gotten over her fear of it. She got special coaching for presentations and controlling nervousness, etc. I just saw her about three weeks ago, and she's, um, it, she got promoted. She's head of her unit. She's doing great. But it's very interesting. We believe that women, we know that women have a very ambivalent view about the word power. And we are afraid to be powerful. And we there's expert power, which we are real comfortable with. We have our law degrees. We have our MBAs. We have our whatever, our credentials. And so if it's about expertise and that kind of power, we're fine, which is how this person was that I was talking about. We also are pretty much okay about position power. We work hard. You know, I worked hard to get up to be a senior vice president at the corporation where I was. I was real proud of that. I was proud that I had, you know, a big staff, big budget, those kinds of things. You can get close to that and be become, become okay with uh, – that's harder, a lot harder for women. But this personal power, uh, which, as Mary said, is just projecting poise, energy, and confidence, is um, rubs up against something that's really hard for us, and we don't want to be overpowering. We don't want to be seen as too bossy, too charismatic, too anything. And um, the problem with that is that men need us to be. The higher you go, the more you need personal power and confidence because things are much uh, more gray. It's not clear. And you're having to lead change. You're having to lead all kinds of constituencies of followers, and you've got to project personal power. And if we keep shying away from it, thinking that it's not power, it's not okay, then we're never going to get there. Very interesting. Well, I, I had had this dialogue with my my uh, one of my partners this week uh you know I was in DC and we were talking about how how men don't tend to share what's going on in their lives and how women are actually so good at that but mm-hmm. sharing vulnerability um in in the context of talking about the strength that you drew from it I think is mm-hmm. really the way that if if we feel like we need to share something, and I'm uh, I am often criticized because I'm very very transparent 
about everything Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I feel like people need to know that there's life after whatever it is, whether it's bankruptcy or you know, uh, any any problem, you name it, you know, children misbehaving or whatever. And, and that by sharing those things and the learning from it, that that actually, if done in that context, men can actually respect that, you know, as opposed to what you mm-hmm. were describing with the woman who, you know, was complaining about speaking. And, and really, that kind of goes back to number two, of really seeking approval of somebody saying, oh, no, you're really great at speaking. So I think those two are very, very closely tied. So let's move on to the next one. And, you know, we have been conditioned that to get to the same place as men, I'm sorry, honey, but you're just going to have to work harder, right? (laughs) So uh, having been told that, uh, I think we often don't do those things that men do to get ahead. And and so this next one I think really is an observation of how men uh do get ahead. And and last week we had a guest who talked about how, you know, here she was uh and actually she was working as a secretary in a brokerage firm and her very first observation was I'm every bit as smart as these guys. I can do what they're doing. And, you know, of course, she moved on to do that and more, and now she runs uh, an investment firm. But this next one is what she observed when she figured out how to get ahead. So so talk to me about uh, number five. Uh, um, I'll start on this, Mary, and you chime in. This is Jill. Um this is our go-to position. If things are not going our way and somebody gets promoted over us or we take a hit in some way, number one, we internalize it. We blame ourselves. And number two, we just think, I'm going to bear down. I'm going to work harder. What um, Mary and Catherine and I are saying in the book is that don't do that. That doesn't do anything for you after a certain point. We are saying you've got to be politically savvy. And, boy, that's another word that women hate, that we are very ambivalent about, this whole thing about office politics. So we're not saying be political. We are not saying to uh, give up any of your integrity or your values. But we are saying that business is a male-created and male-hierarchical and still male-dominated world. And what we think women need to do, we almost need to assume that we are going to a foreign country. There's a different language when we walk into the corporate doors. There are different norms. There are unstated expectations. There are all kinds of different traditions, and we don't necessarily know what they are. So we have got to be able to read the unwritten uh, expectations and the unwritten norms of this foreign country that we find ourselves in every day. And I have a great example, a woman that I was coaching. She's a a fabulous um, tax consultant in New York with a consulting firm. She was a rainmaker, which is fabulous because so many women are not good at developing business and bringing revenue into a company or a firm. She was great. She was known for that. And yet when I gathered feedback for her and gave it to her, she just went berserk because she got a lot of surprises. And and the surprises had to do with what I've been talking about. She got feedback that 
She doesn't mentor the young uh, associates. She's never in the office. She's always with clients. She doesn't uh, go out to dinner and hang out with partners. She doesn't, you know, she just wasn't part of the fab, the day-to-day fabric of the of the office. And she she said, I can't believe this. Nobody ever told me that that was expected. That was the quote. Nobody ever told me. I thought all I had to do was bring in revenue, please my and please my clients. And of course, she had to bring in revenue and please clients, and that was expected, and it was uh, great. She got great marks on that. But there were a list of other things that were expected that nobody had ever told her, and she had never asked, and she didn't read the tea leaves very well in her particular firm. So that's what I mean about being politically savvy. You've got to have uh, to be able to meet expectations, and you've got to have the relationships. That's the other thing. She, without the relationships, she didn't have anybody that would tell her. She had nobody looking out for her to tell her you need to be in the office more. You right. need to mentor people, all that. So that's the bi- uh, that's a real big one for us. Interesting, Mary. You got any other thoughts on that? I was just going to say a lot of women we coach really turn their nose up at this and just say, "I can't do this. I, that's not who I am." And I've really thought a lot about that response, and I've watched women. And if there's a child who needs to get to a special school or a child who wants a teacher, we can be as politically savvy and as political as we need to be to get (laughs) something for a child. Now, to do it for ourselves, that's going back to that be modest thing, to do it for ourselves, we don't tend to do it. But I think we're just as politically capable of being just as politically savvy as, as any man would be. We just... Uh, choose not to do it unless uh, it's for somebody else. Well, and I think it, again, ties in very closely to this next one, which has to do with, you know, we've been taught to play it safe and to not be a risk taker. And, you know, the the sports metaphors don't tend to uh, uh, resonate with us as much. But men are very, very clearly there to play to win. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in taking that on, I mean, we really have to understand that our approach to playing it safe, you know, we, we still are trying to win. We're just trying to win nicely. So so talk to me about this. Mary, you take that. Well, I th- I think it comes from, yes, we've been conditioned to be this way and, we don't want to go ask for something and get a no, and we don't want to take a risk and fail because if we fail, you know, there's no net and we're going to die, and, you know, failure equals career failure, and we immediately go to the worst thing that's going to happen if we step out of our comfort zone. And I think the challenge is to step out of Don't go all the way to the fear zone where you get paralyzed, but at right. least go into get out of your comfort zone and try some different things. The wonderful example is is a woman we were coaching, and she got a call from the big boss during a workshop we were doing, and he was offering her a very big job. And thankfully, she ran over. There were three of us coaches in the room, and she ran over and said, I've just gotten a call, and I've been offered this really big job. And and we said, what would you say? And she said, well, I didn't say anything, but I think I shouldn't do it. And we all went, wait a minute. And we said, why do you think you shouldn't do it? And she said, well, I've never done this. This is totally out of my area. I don't know this job. It wasn't in my plan. She had a million reasons why to say no and hadn't thought about many of why why would I say yes. And we encouraged her. We said, look, 
you've been successful in the past, why would you think you couldn't take the risk and be successful in a new environment? You know, they say men need to know 20% of a new job to take it, a stretch job, and we women think we need to know 80% of a new job to take it. So this is this business of having the confidence to get out of our comfort zone, try something new, and have that confidence in ourselves that we could do it. And listen, kudos to the men, because what they're saying is, I have done it before. I am willing to take a risk. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to fail. It's going to work for me. So this concept of playing to win takes a lot of courage. You know, you've got to be willing to be courageous and play with Mm -hmm. that mantra of playing to win. Now, this this last one uh, actually sounds like it it could contradict what we've just talked about because, you know, playing to win sounds like it's all about an all-or-nothing approach. But you're saying in this last one that it's, it's actually the all-or-nothing approach that is the old thinking. So let's wrap up with this one. Yes, this, this is Jill. What we find with women and what we were intending to convey there is that women, uh, you know, we do all these things, we work hard, we succeed, we juggle all these um, roles that we have, we, um, you know, we're, we're trying as hard as we can, and at some point... We've had it, and every one of us has been there, and we know it. When we are coaching somebody, we get to a point where we just say, I'm not doing this anymore. They've made, you know, they've promoted one too many people over me, or, or I'm not doing this anymore. You know, they keep having these 7 a.m. meetings, and they know that that's an inconvenient time for me to, to come to a staff meeting. They're just, it's a million little things, and the and the women that we coach just have had it, they are fed up, and we say that they, they're on the ledge and we need to talk them off the ledge. So it's um, that's the all or nothing. It's sort of black and white thinking. And I'll give you an example. And we don't do much about it. We're not, we don't empower ourselves. Uh, the, the best example that we talk about when this comes up is, uh, although we have many, many examples of this, there was a woman that one of us was coaching who actually lived in South Dakota but she worked out of Washington, D.C., so she she was a consultant, so she had to get on the plane every single Sunday afternoon and go to Washington and be with her client through till Thursday night, and then she would get home late Thursday night. Well, anyway, her husband uh, realized his dream and bought and was the chef at a restaurant. So what began to happen is she started telling the coach, our our coach, I've got to I've got to quit my job because I never see my husband and we're newlyweds. It's not working. By the time I get home, I'm exhausted, and then he's at the restaurant all weekend. Blah blah blah. So she felt like it was very black and white. It was very clear, and she was the woman, and she needed to quit her job over this. Mm-hmm. Well, the coach finally got her off the ledge, as we say, and got her engaged in saying how could she sort of reposition herself and rearrange her situation. So they went through all this elaborate planning, and she rehearsed what she was going to say to her boss and all this because she she had realized, the the coach said, if if there were one thing, if you could wave a wand, what what would you do? She said, well, if I could wait and fly out on Monday afternoon, it would make a difference because the restaurant is closed on Sunday. I'd have Sunday and most of Monday with my husband, and then we could really have some time together. 
So she goes in with this long explanation to ask her boss if she could possibly change and fly in on Monday. And she barely got it out of her mouth, and he just said, oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) It was was nothing. And it, it was so easy. And so she just, a lot of times we women have to learn that lesson over and over, that we've got to ask for what will make things work. The businessmen know we are valuable to them. They've invested a lot. They don't want to see us walk out the door, and especially not for a silly reason about something that can be changed. That's not always the case, but most of the time it is. And I found that typically this thinking happens when we're at the end of it's. We're in an emotional state. We've hit the end of our rope, and we want to just just check this off. Just fix this problem. I'll just quit my job. Instead, live with the gray, live in the ambiguity, figure it out, think through, don't don't get so emotional that you do something you're going to regret, sleep on it, talk to your truth tellers, talk to your advisors. And that's, I mean, I have done, I've certainly gotten to this point in my career, and you're just ready to leave, and it's not always the right answer. Sometimes it might be, but often it's not. So it's this step back and see how could you make happen what you want to have happen and, you know, not make this potentially um, disastrous decision. So I I do think it comes from getting emotional, too. Great. Well, one of the things, um, before I forget, uh, I I always love to share with our listeners uh, about the format of the book, and I'm a a real sucker for uh, distilling things down so that if you're in a hurry and you really need help, you can grab the book. Maybe you read it uh, six months ago. And you can remind yourself, you have used a marvelous format that I love. And and we have talked about, uh, you know, the various rules um, and how to change the patterns of thinking. But what you have actually done in the book is for each one of those rules that we talked about, you actually have multiple things that make up that rule. And so you have a call out in each chapter that shows all of the things that make up that old rule. And then the same thing, uh, that is actually in a square format. And then there's a round format um, that shows all of the new rules. And so this book is is a practical reminder of how to behave and, and something that I think you can just keep near you <laughs> so that you can pull it off the shelf and, uh, you know, actually remind yourself uh, of those little things that you can do differently every day uh, to make a difference. So let's just uh, close out with talking about your last chapter of the book, which is Stand Together and close ranks. And you give the the quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. This is um, something that was very interesting that stood out to us, and and especially to Mary and and me, Chicky, when we saw the name of your show, uh, which is about girlfriends. We have a saying that you just can't get through a career successfully without girlfriends and that's right. essentially what this what this chapter is about and we're talking about more than friendship we think women are really good at friendship we know how to do that we care about relationships but to us this whole support thing is about standing with each other and not being critical being advocates for each other. When I was in HR in corporate America, I had plenty of opportunities to advocate for 
talented women that I didn't even know well, but just people that I knew were really talented and were very right. impressive and had potential. I didn't always do it. Um, I considered some of those women to be competitors of mine, which was very silly. I don't know why we get into these narrow frameworks with each other. But it's advocating and supporting and being honest. I told you about the woman that where nobody gave her feedback, that she wasn't doing the right thing. She was the rainmaker. Well, somebody, a girlfriend, should have pulled her over and said, Susan, you have got to spend more time in the office. And here's why. Here's what they're saying about you. Um, so girlfriends are the glue. Girlfriends are the things that make the, make these careers happen, make us know we're not crazy, make us know that we truly can do it. Amen Madeline that. Albright says <laughs> there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And um, I, I believe that, and I think if we really truly, in the true sense of the word, helped each other and supported each other, we're going to get where we want to go much faster, and we're going to get to that 30% women in leadership positions in corporate America. Absolutely. Well, Jill and Mary, this has been uh, just an amazing uh, view into uh, not only your book but into what you guys are doing uh, in your consulting firm. Would you tell our listeners what the best way is, uh, you know, to follow you on social media to learn more uh, about what you guys are doing? Um, we we offer a way for our members to buy the book on the Executive Girlfriends Group book site. So uh, great, uh, that is already taken care of. But share with us the best way to reach you. Thank you. I, I think the best thing is go to our website, which is www.flynnheathholt.com. And it's not Flynn Health. Some people get that confused. It's H-E-H-E-H, Flynn Right. Um, and we have a blog there. We have how to reach us there. We have uh, more explanation about what we do. We also have a blog on HBR. Uh, we, they've been uh, good partners with us, or we've been partners with them. And uh, we've had a number of blogs on HBR, which uh, people can go and, and find. They never tell us exactly when they're going to. We they've got some more that are coming out, but they never tell us exactly when they're going to run them. But that's uh, that's it. And if they want us to, add, we'd love to add the um, whoever wants to onto our social media sites. We do, we send out our own blogs as well, and we've got a long list of uh, people that uh, we send them to, and so we we would welcome that. Terrific. Well, again, the name of the book is Break Your Own Rules, How to Change the Patterns of Thinking that Block Women's Path to Power. Our guests today have been Jill Flynn and Mary Davis Holt, and the third co-author is their partner, Catherine Heath. Thanks so much, and uh, you know, uh, stay out of downtown if you can, uh, Jill, for, for the convention next week. As I said, Tampa actually wasn't so bad, but we had Hurricane Isaac ch- chasing everybody away as well. Great. I'll I'll heed your advice. Thanks, Chicky. I've enjoyed it. Thank you All so right. much. It's been a it's been a wonderful conversation. Terrific. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. Bye bye. For more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, just see our website, www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. To listen to our past broadcasts, you can go to www.blogtalkradio.com/slash. Solutions with a Z live. 
Thanks for joining us.